Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I know a whole lot about the uh, very specific differences between several different beers that have Great Lakes names. But I don't actually know a lot about the Great Lakes, and that's what the point of this here show is. And I'm joined today by the one, the only, the special, Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, what's up? Uh, not much. It is lovely. It is fall. Um, yeah, best time of the year, in my opinion. It is. It is. Um, it is lovely fall, best time of the year. I completely agree. We are reminded of our mortality, which is always interesting to do. Um, and uh, we celebrate that by slowly increasing the number of layers before the inevitable months of misery. But that's good. No, it's not. Anyway, yes, that is can be a point on which we... Uh, you can be wrong. I was going to say we can okay. agree to disagree, but you can just be wrong. That's I agree to nothing. I agree to nothing. <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, one thing, I'm sorry, before we get going, so we're recording this. So this is going to be a screwy episode. Um, we're super excited about it. But uh, we actually, we just got back a few days ago from um, Secret Week in Cleveland, and we're going to play an interview that Carolyn and I recorded there. Um, but as we're recording this now, it's September 28th, and, and um, the hurricane, uh, Ian, is is in Florida right now. And we're not going to focus on that because it'll hopefully be through, of course, by the time this episode is released. But one thing that really occurred to me as I'm watching this is the value of all of the different sources of data that are out there, right? And so when I rode through Hurricane Harvey when we lived in Houston, Texas um, area, like we really relied heavily on all the different government data sources that were out there to try to help us what, understand what was going to happen, what was happening, um, and make a lot of decisions. And so I see it's even even since then, since Harvey uh, in just the last five years or whatever, the, the amount of stuff that's out there is is uh, even more amazing. And um, when I compare that to like Hurricane Charlie, which I was in Florida for in 2004, um, just the amount of stuff that's there is really great. And so one of our themes in this show very consistently is the importance of data sets and making them available. And a lot of times that the only people who are going to do it are the government. And so, you know, uh, and I've been thinking about a lot that a lot today and we talk a lot about long-term data sets, but these instantaneous things are really important too. Yes. And Yes. And so, uh, yeah, our heart goes out to everybody um, uh, as we go through the rebuilding process. I've, I've been through that before with multiple hurricanes, and it's, it's, uh, it's horrible. And so we appreciate that. Um, and we do appreciate the data that's out there. But, you know, data is actually really important in, in journalism, isn't it? That's your cue. Is that my cue? Journalism. Journalism. You heard journalism. I heard journalism. <laughs> that, that noise you hear, that voice you hear is the one, the only, uh, Sandra Svoboda with Great Lakes Now. But before we can talk to Sandra, we all know what it's time for. Time for Stuart to thumb through his, there we go. We all, we all know what it's time for. And now it's time for the Great Lakes News. Here's your host. Stuart Carlton. Uh, so that sound means that's right. It's time for the Great Lakes News. Sandra Svoboda of Great Lakes Now. News about the lakes you love. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Stuart? I am also good. Thank you. And Carolyn, good to see you and hear you on the podcast. Yeah, nice to see you and chat with you again. So what do you have for us today? Yeah, so so my understanding is, so the Great Lakes News, the way this works for people who are new to the news, we call them new newsies, newsy newsies. Um, the way that this works is Sandra comes with some number, undetermined number of news stories. I guess the number of news stories. And then we, uh, she reads the news stories and then we talk about them and that's how it goes. All right. So I'm thinking today, Sandra, that you brought three stories. 
Oh, Stuart, you are so smart. Look at you. The most intelligent <laughs> podcast host that's titled Teach Me About the Great Lakes. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, lead host and executive producer. I'll, I'll, we can probably get people to sign all Right. That. Okay, Perfect. great. Okay, I bring you three stories today that all kind of represent different aspects and important ones of the Great Lakes. And I'm sorry, Stuart and Carolyn, they are not all science. But stand by. There is, there is science. There's a good science one in here. Stand by for science. They should say that before the NASA thing launches. Like it's like the countdown three, stand by for science, three, two, one, rocket <laughs> up in the air. That'll be awesome. I'm going to remember that. You might see that as a title on Great Lakes now one of these days. Stand <laughs> by for science. Uh, okay. Anyway, what we're really here for, it's teed up, is shipping. There is a new freighter on the Great Lakes. Uh, it is built by the Interlake Company out of Cleveland. And Stuart, I'm going to give you one guess of what was the last time that a cargo ship was built in the United States, in the Great Lakes region, to work on the Great Lakes. Oh, I actually know this, so that's not fair. It was um, four weeks ago. I saw this in the news. Um, well, four before, weeks. That Be- before that one. Before that one. It was um, two years. Two years. I, no, two wrong. Years. No. Um, multiply no. that by 18 and you would have uh, it. It's been 36. about 36 years. No kidding. Yeah, since there was a new American-made ship. So. This one is uh, small. Everybody, you know, Freighter, I, Stuart, I know you're new to the Great Lakes, so I'm going to indulge you for a moment here. If you want to be a cool Great Lakes kid, one of the hobbies to have is freighter watching. Um, there are actually live cams all around the region. We're actually, ooh, I hadn't even thought of this, but this is my shameless self-promotion out of the way right away. We are having a watch party uh, about freighter watching, and you can come back to Great Lakes now to figure out, we'll help you figure out some of the great places to do it. But you know, you can, a lot of places offshore, you can see them out on the lakes, but there are cities like Duluth and the Locks at the Sioux where you can get right up close and watch the freighters go through. Okay. So this idea so of wait, a new hold freighter. On, hold, on, hold on, hold on. So freighter watching, I just want to get this straight. So <laughs> freighter watching, you go to like the lake shore or the Locks yes. in the case of the Sioux. That's where the freighters, the boats tend to be in the water. They do tend to be in the water. Well, unless they're being built. And, and so then... I, then then you watch the freighter go through the locks yes or you watch them go by down the oh. river or you just you just watch them go it's awesome <laughs> see see <laughs> carolyn's a boat nerd yeah. <laughs> right, I just, i'm not look i'm presenting without comment i'm just trying to understand what the hobby is the hobby is you watch boats move slowly but then you see for you know which ones? Which boat is it? What are they carrying? Like, yeah, yeah no, no, no. How high are they? Right? Can you see the paint to see how loaded they are? Right? Or can you see the paint drying if it's wet? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Anyway, um, so that's good. No, I'm in on freighter watching. Actually, I'm not even kidding. I'm I'm totally in on freighter watching because when I went to the Sioux, um, which I know that is pronounced as the Sioux and not Salt Saint Marie, because that would be good. ridiculous. Good job. Um, there is hope for you here in the Great yeah, Lakes. Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, I learned when I got there, but whatever. All right. Uh, uh, so I went to the Sioux and they had these locks and there was a boat. And I I, I spent, uh, you know, rather than go to the session I was supposed to be in, I watched the boat move through the locks. It was very exciting. Very exciting. See? Yeah, it's cool. I've actually been through the locks on a sailboat and that was what? almost as cool. Yeah, we went through east to west. So um rose up however many feet like i was like i felt like the animal at the zoo with all the people watching a little bit because there were people <laughs> up on the deck and there were all of us on these boats before we did the trans superior race but yeah there are actually a series of uh webcams live webcams that you can view um all different places around the lakes uh duluth the lake walk down there um on the in the canal park uh has the lift bridge that the freighters come through 
uh, people line up, they time their visits, you know, freighter trekking. I actually have friends who are doing a freighter ride right now. So I've been stalking them. I mean, following their progress on uh, marine traffic. But yeah, I mean, the ships are not only a huge deal for the multi-billion dollar Great Lakes economy, but also kind of the tourism too. The Sioux has a great visitor center. Um, it's yep. a, it's, yeah, that you can get up close and get tours of the museum and um, the other cities. And of course, you know, some of the smaller ports like Cleveland, which brings me back to my actual story about the Mark Barker, which see what I did there, which is a about a 600, 636 foot freighter uh, that is actually super maneuverable. So while a lot of people really like to see the big thousand footers out on the horizon, they also, um, it's more practical for these ships to be a little bit smaller and be able to get into more ports and participate more in the economy and the trade of the region. So the Mark Barker, we've got a, we've got footage of it. We've got our Lake Erie correspondent was on board there in Cleveland and a lot of information about that freighter. So that's kind of big news around the lakes on a lot of levels. Yeah. You have a Lake Erie correspondent. That's cool. So it's the big deal. Um, it's the big deal that it's, uh, that it's American made or that it, what, what, or is it, uh, you know, the size of the ship? What is kind of the big innovation here? That's so exciting. It's new. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I mean, it's you're called going, Great Lakes, not called Great Lakes Olds, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, we're here to talk about news. So that's kind of one of the elements of news is that, you know, things are new. Uh, there's also, you know, there, I think it ties in, like I said, on a lot of the, the culture of the region in terms of shipping. I mean, we have a really old fleet in the Great Lakes. We have saltwater, or we have saltwater. We have freshwater. Oh, Sandy, get that's it one together. of the primary deals. Yeah, I've seen the right. Yeah. You know, the freshwater seas, and so there's a big difference in how ships are impacted by saltwater versus freshwater. Stuff in the Great Lakes lasts a lot longer. Uh, you know, when friends are shopping for sailboats, they always look for boats that have been in freshwater and not the saltwater because it's so much easier on hmm. the boats, for example. And same thing with freighters. So. We actually have a really old fleet. There's actually a ship that's over 100 years old that's still in operation on the Great Lakes. Oh, right. So to have, you know, new shiny object. And then also there's just, there's kind of a lot of improvements in um, kind of the greenness of it. It's a tier four certified from the EPA. That sounds really fancy. I don't know. Don't ask me any more questions about that. But it, it, uh, it has a lot of energy efficiencies built in and should be a little less of an impact on the ecosystem here in the lakes. So there it is. Why it's and what's news. the ship's name again? Um, Mark W. Barker, which is named Mark- after the president of the shipping company. So we are all in the wrong business. If you ever want a ship named after you, uh, get yeah. to be the president of a company that builds a new one like Interlake just did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I mean, can... or you could just like buy a kayak or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to start talking about Bodie McBoatface because that would totally derail you from yeah, everything. Yeah, I also so, want to talk about how okay. when I worked in Florida, no, <laughs> so every now and again no, get a not. new research boat. And and so all we tried to do is try to sneak, you know, goofy names past the administration. That was the deal. And so, like, um, uh, the one that they got by was the uh, Maya's Dragon, uh, which nobody noticed. And so oh, we go to research in Tampa story, Bay on the Maya's Dragon. Story number two. Story number two. <laughs> all right. Story number two brings us back to science. So this should make you happy, Stuart. Um, we've actually had uh, one of our correspondents. That's a really fancy name, I'm gonna, but I'm going to call her that. So her name is Kathy Johnson, and she writes a column called I Speak for the Fish, which is a whole other topic. But one of the things she did was went behind the scenes at the Royal Ontario Museum, looked at the fish collection, and it kind of got her thinking about all of the kind of specialties within fish science and the differences fish biologists and ichthyologists and 
museum curation versus being in the field. And so she did a really fun piece. She interviewed four different people uh, around the region that work in that field, what it took to be a fish scientist, kind of what the parts of their jobs are. And I got to say, I'm thinking about switching careers. They get to just, sounds like they just drive boats and go to cool places. And so we're thinking maybe this story, uh, well, maybe, you know, you never know. You like to dream about your impact in journalism because we so rarely know what it actually is. So if any of you out there read that story and 20 years from now, your children go on to be Nobel winning fish scientists because of what you read on Great Lakes Now, let us know about it. So yeah, looking to inspire and explain a little bit and kind of give you a, another view of fish science, I guess. Cool. Um, the slightly less glamorous side is that sometimes your hands wind up smelling like fish because you have to grab them and you have to <laughs> dissect them. And I once went to a wedding where um, I, yeah, like everyone was, the night before everyone's showing off their manicures and I'm like hiding my hands because I'm like, I'm pretty sure mine still smell like fish, but I really <laughs> loved it. I really loved it. So. Yeah, that is that is cool. And there are a ton of different types of fish science out there. And I, I love those stories. And um, uh, I think I happen to see this one when it originally got posted. And so that is super cool. I'm glad to see it out there. Uh, and you should go check it out, everybody. Yeah. yeah, hope it inspires some youngsters to it seems like every fish scientist I meet started fishing off a dock or pulling critters out of a creek or something like that. So it's nice to see where they all end up uh, with fancy degrees and actual jobs. Cool. You know what's more? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what's more exciting about that, though, or, or an exciting, um, you know, what else is exciting about that would be another way to phrase that more smoothly, perhaps, uh, is we work very closely with two fish scientists at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, or in the Great Lakes Sea Grant Network, I suppose. Uh, and they are our own Doctors Fish, Doctors Fishes, uh, uh, Titus Salheimer and Katie O'Reilly. Do you know them, Sandra? I do. Dr. Catfish is kind of my hero, Katie O'Reilly, and her Twitter handle. Yeah, they're both a lot. Actually, Titus is my hero because as far as I can tell, all he does is walk around different lakes and take videos. And I, I somehow gets paid. You should put them in your, your story. I, anyway. I think we've shared some of his things on Twitter. He's shared our content and, and uh, commented. So, yeah, I think, you know, they both have kind of perfect jobs. They're just out there like making Twitter all the time and winning. <laughs> out there making Twitter and winning. If we didn't already have a title, that could be our title for this episode. Um, but the point is this, is that about a year ago, we did a live streaming thing with Titus and uh, Katie called Ask Dr. Fish. And we had so much fun doing it that we've decided that we're going to make it its own thing. And so uh, we are excited as part of the uh, the second show, the second show from the Gobi Dog uh, Media Network, which is what we call the overarching uh, uh, deal here. And so it's going to be Ask Dr. Fish. This is going to be live streaming. It's going to be the second Monday of every even month. The second Monday of every even month. Does that make sense? Every month is a lot of Dr. Fish, every, a lot of questions, but every other month seems probably about right. And so uh, you can look down for a link in the show notes to the first one, which is going to be on October uh, 10th. Yep, October 10th at 11 a.m. Eastern. We're going to be live streaming and uh, it'll be released as a podcast the following week. And and so it's going to have its own podcast feed. We'll 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 give you the deals with that later. It hasn't been created yet. And we're also going to create like a main feed, a fire hose feed uh, for all of the Gobi Dog Media Network content. So if you just want to subscribe to one place and get it all, that's fine too. Um, and so anyway, look, but if you have questions, this is the main reason I'm pointing. If you have questions, use the Twitter hashtag AskDrFish. Or send an email to askdrfish at gmail.com. And we don't, you know, we want fish questions, we want science questions, and we want life questions. If you have those, just go ahead and ask Dr. Fish. Oh, oh sorry, I was typing. I'm already typing my questions to Dr. Are you typing fish. Your questions? Dr. Fish. 
Doctors fish. Doctors fishes. Doctors fishes, <laughs> but it's really complicated. So, so scientists tend ichthyologists, which is what I I studied under ichthyologists. Um, uh, they tend to use fishes, you know, es to refer to multiple fish of different species, right? So the challenge is, is that Titus and Katie are the same species, uh, but so we don't. But uh, you know, anyway, doctors fishes. That's what we go with. Ask him questions. <laughs> Got it. Shut that up sounds you fun. I'm going to check that out. You should. Do you have a third story, Sandra, before I just keep digging this hole? Uh, I do. And this one is going to distract all of us because it is about beer. 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 Willow? (laughs) Willow? No, I actually missed Willow. Anyway, um, (laughs) what about beer? Not just beer, but Great Lakes beer. And more specifically, uh, mostly Lake Superior beer. So, uh, this is a new story on our website. It's written by, uh, again, one of our contributors. Her name's Capri Cafaro. She's in Ohio, but she's done a little bit of traveling around the region. And she's part of a podcast, another podcast. I guess it's a podcast theme day. But she often writes about food and beverages um, around the region. And so when I was doing my vacation lap of Lake Superior earlier this summer, I guess it's fall now, during the summer, well, was, you know, we stopped at a few breweries and I mean, they're uh, out there, right? They're yeah. out there and they're fun to go and the beer's good and you get the backstory of the people. And so a couple of them told me about the Ontario government investing in them through various grants program and Capri checked it all out and wrote a story about the ale trail and ale other trail. kind of the ale trail. I know it makes me thirsty. Oh, sorry. I was doing that for emphasis. You keep going. That was, I was just going <laughs> to lay that under you for emphasis without distracting you. So the audience, the listeners would really be like, Ooh, yeah. Ale trail. That's I'm fully distracted by this entire topic of beer right now, Stuart. I don't even know. Great lakes, oceans. What are we talking about? But We're anyway, talking about the ale trail. Yeah. In Ontario. So what is the ale trail? So yeah. you go and, and there's like a number of um, ale establishments that you can go have a beer at, I suppose. Oh, beer puns, beer puns. Yes. Um, you know, the so in a practical sense, you know, there are a lot of other <laughs> tourism and beer thing. All right. This is not like revolution. I'm not pretending this is news that beer and tourism are related or that beer is fun or that people like to drink beer or visit local breweries as well. Um, Ontario has had a little bit of a challenge because I don't know, Stuart, you're the newcomer to the Lakes region. So when you look at a map of the Great Lakes, it is a long way from Thunder Bay, Ontario on the North Shore of Lake Superior to say the Sioux, as we were talking about a few minutes ago. So you got to be pretty committed if you're doing the Lake Superior beer trail, but yeah, that's 100 miles. Very small sips. Very small sips, yes, at stops only. And so uh, they're trying to do a little bit better job connecting those breweries and uh, with festivals and other materials around tourism, similar to what's been done with food. So nice to see the smaller breweries come along. And I can personally attest that Slate Island is dog friendly. And maybe I'll tweet this podcast post a picture of my ill-behaved dog in the brewing facility. Perfect. <laughs> animal, animal content is always good. All right. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, then, so so we're gonna have to go check that out. So, Carolyn, I have a question. I'm, we're going to be doing a live show in May, probably, right? This is not an official announcement um, from Toronto, right? And so, um, uh, hey, Sandra, want to come to Toronto? Anyway, different story. And so, um, uh, uh, is like this ale trail? Is this near? I don't know anything about Canada and like how close all these different places are. So, can we start the ale trail from Toronto? 
I doubt it. Um, <laughs> like I, I mean, it's pretty far from Toronto to uh, Thunder Bay to the Sioux. Okay. You should take the long way to Toronto, though, from uh, Chicago <laughs> store. You could yeah. get all the way around. You could sample both sides and things like that. But there are definitely spots in um toronto that we could go to as well so all right well no ale trail in toronto but we'll have to we'll have to well i mean separate, maybe separate there trip. is i haven't looked it up please don't quote me on that <laughs> all right um i mean it just got recorded for a podcast that we're going to release it's going to be listened to by people throughout the great lakes but that's fine uh they can they won't quote you on they'll, they'll come back for the sequel <laughs> to see the follow-up and what carolyn has learned about beer so all three of those stories really fit with the the episode that we recorded a couple of weeks ago, right? With um, beer and Cleveland and science and economics and all of that. Um, but before we go to that episode, you had something you wanted to share. That's right. Before I do, we're announcing, that's right, the 2022 Lakeys nominations are open. The Lakeys, for those of you who don't remember, is quite possibly not the least prestigious Great Lakes-based award ceremony that there is. This is our big end-of-the-year wrap-up in which we are going to give out awards. We're going to give out Lakey awards and, you know, categories like science communication of the year, Great Lakes research of the year, Great Lakes news of the year, Great Lakes animal of the year, Great Lakes sandwich of the year. All these really important awards. And and um, what we need, those we need some nominations. So if you look in your show notes, you'll find a link. And it's uh, bit.ly.com slash Lakey's 22. That's Lakey's, capital Lakey's 22, I believe. And uh, you can go and nominate things for the Lakeys. And then we will uh, record that and release it towards the end of the year. But nominate really great work, really great sandwiches. Nominate a donut. Uh, and so, yeah, we're looking if forward to that. If you're team or, donut, yeah. If you're team donut. Or if you're not, I mean, you can still like a donut. The whole point of the question is. Yeah, you can, you can like a donut and recognize that it's maybe not as awesome as a sandwich. Yeah, you're right, Carolyn. That's uh, totally true. But first, Sandra, where can people go to find more news, news about the lakes they love? greatlakesnow.org you can link to all our social and our youtube channel from there thanks Stuart. thanks carolyn yeah that's fantastic and then to take us out here is the great lakes now theme song written by the inimitable so don't bother imitating him clint carpenter Our guest today is Mike Williams. He's the brand coordinator and marketing, brand coordinator of marketing. He's also a company educator and historian at Great Lakes Brewing Company in downtown Cleveland. No, what part of Cleveland? We're pretty close to downtown. In We're in Ohio City. Ohio City. It's just on the west side of the Cuyahoga River. Just on the west side yep. of the Cuyahoga River, which is not on fire. It's not right on now. fire. Not on fire. <laughs> we fixed that. Fixed that. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Well, we'll talk about that. Thanks to the <laughs> Clean Water Act we learned uh, today. Anyway, great. So, uh, yeah, we're really excited to talk to Mike. Actually, um, as uh, Carolyn and, and I were talking on the way over here, uh, we when we started this podcast um, three years ago, I guess, uh, we had about three or four like must hit guests or interviews or whatever. And uh, number one and two were Great Lakes Brewing Company. I mean, largely, I is, yeah, wow. yeah, not even joking. Like in the original <laughs> document, and uh, three years in the making. Yeah, right? three years yeah. in the making. Three wow. years, Fantastic. one pandemic, and so we're we're glad right. to be here uh, at the Cool Education Center with some beautiful. Yes, beautiful artwork. beer symposium, as we call it. Yeah, yes. the beer symposium. Love it. Well, so let's uh, let's just start deep background. How did how did Great Lakes Brewing Company start? So we actually we just had our thirty fourth birthday. It was last week. It was one week ago today. So September sixth. Happy birthday. We opened up. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I am thirty five. So I'm just I'm one year older than the brewery. <laughs> I'm just just outpacing the brewery by a year. 
So we got our start um, in September 88. Um, we were founded by two guys. They're local guys, Pat and Dan Conway, big Irish family from the west side of town. And they kind of have a classic story, like a, a lot of the other brewers that opened up in the 80s, which, you know, in the 80s, there was very little of what we call craft beer today. We call them microbreweries back then. Um, there are actually no breweries operating in the city of Cleveland. There's pretty much no beer being brewed in the entire state of Ohio. So Pat and Dan got this crazy idea for opening up a brewery from their travels in Europe. So, you know, to get good beer, nothing wrong with light lager and stuff like that, but it's not super exciting. So to get that kind of beer, you had to go overseas and they both did like a study abroad program while they were at Loyola Chicago. I went to the Rome campus and, of course, traveled the continent, really just struck by these beers that were being brewed there. You know, like um, Belgian beers, the Trappist Ales, um, Hefeweizen, Czech Pilsner, and just fresh, full-flavored beer. And they wanted to bring that experience to their hometown, to the city of Cleveland. They both were starting to get the entrepreneurial itch after... um, couple different professions so they they went for it they opened up great lakes and um, we're very proud to be approaching that 35th anniversary next year so we're we're pretty stoked about that it's gonna be a really big year for us next year so um, it's really thanks to those guys that we got our start Um, when we started of course everything was different in our industry Um, as as I just mentioned craft beer was not really a thing yet so it was you know I'd say it's, it's never easy to open a small business. Uh, it certainly takes a good amount of capital to open a, a brewery today, but it's probably banks are a little bit more, you know, um, willing to write large loans for stainless steel and stuff today than they were in the 80s. So huge risk for the Conways. Obviously, that paid off. We were very proud to be the 19th largest craft brewer in the country last year. That's out of 9,000. So wow. pretty cool. Hey. Holy cow. And, um, Top 0.2%. We love – I can't do math. So that's <laughs> I can't. I'm a philosophy <laughs> guy. Yeah. 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 No, actually, you know what? We're going to go ahead and go – no, never mind. We'll do it later. All right, great. Keep going. Yeah. Um, that could be a factoid. That's all I'm saying. Could be right. a factoid. Right. Yeah. I like it. Even – yes, that factoid is – We'll figure one out for sure. I like my factoid from earlier. Yeah. Actually, we'll see. We might go with that's that. That's what I realized. Your factoid yeah. is better. You know so that's the, the Great Lakes factoid. Let's do the Great Lakes factoid. Let's do the Great Lakes factoid. All right. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. The general factoid, specifically for Great Lakes as well, is that you do not need a beard and to wear flannel to be a brewer. It is totally okay. I happen to have a beard. These two can see me and nobody else can. I have a beard, but I'm not wearing flannel. No, I'm also thing. not a brewer, but yeah. so it goes. Yeah. In, in Colorado, though, that's actually not true. That's why it's a... You do need... In Col- it's a state-by-state yeah. state thing. It's so. a Great Lakes factoid. <laughs> yeah, great. So I wanted to ask one question. Um, so you mentioned that it started out as a family um, that was... And then before the interview, we were talking... Sorry, my bad. We were talking a little bit about... Um, how big your staff is and who right. sort of um, works at the brewery now. So I wonder if you could share like your story of how you came up and. Um, oh, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited. It'll be my 10th anniversary at the brewery on October 1st. So that's just a couple, actually, well, when this airs, I think it'll have just been my 10th anniversary. Woo! So whoop, whoop. <laughs> uh, and I actually got my start here as many of my coworkers did. I got my start on the floor in our brew pub restaurant. So, so when the Conways founded the company, they founded it as 
a brewery restaurant where the, the beer didn't leave the premises to go to bars and restaurants and stores. It was just brewed and served right there. So that's where I got my start. And uh, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I had just kind of come out of school and all that and was waiting for an opportunity and then realized that, oh, I work at Great Lakes, so I can probably figure out something really cool here. And um, I became a server and then a public tour guide. And then in 2017, I took over all of our train the training efforts for the company. Um, so staff training, working with some business partners, offering classes for the public and all that. So um, what's really cool is we're still a an independent, family-owned, also an employee-owned company. Um, so you guys are hanging out with a co-owner right now. Pretty cool, yeah, right? Yeah, that is. So, right, mine was blown right there. Mines were blown. So um, it's pretty cool that, you know, it, there's so much opportunity at a company like that. Um, there's so much room for flexibility and mobility. So I'm, I am, I'm happy to say that I am not the exception to the rule, that a lot of other people have developed really great careers here starting off in a spot they might not have initially thought they would have had that. So it's pretty cool. That's really, really cool. So um, why the Great Lakes name? Sure. So we did have the advantage, um, you know, in 1988, there were only like 100 breweries. So it wasn't like, (laughs) oh, man, they took all the names already, you know? It It was a little easier back then. But we didn't choose Great Lakes for no reason. Um, I believe the the brothers had a couple other potential names floating around their heads. But they wanted to go with Great Lakes Brewing Company in part because they had a pie-in-the-sky notion that one day they would be able to distribute their beer all throughout the Great Lakes. Truly for them at that time, they're like, if we get there, we'll have accomplished something we, we never would have dreamed we could do. Um, just based on how everything was at the time. So now we're in 14 states. We're in every state that's contiguous to a Great Lake. We obviously have some of the East Coast and all that, too. We're in Indiana. Yeah, yeah you're in we're Indiana. Which is also contiguous to a Great Lake. Only that much of it. Yeah, a tiny, 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 tiny amount. Bit. Bit. In Florida, too. That's where I first had Great I used to, so I, um, my first round of podcasting, uh, was uh, I, I back in two thousand eight, nine, ten? I had a New Orleans Saints podcast, and oh, um, cool. and and I, I wrote for a New Orleans Saints fan blog, and I would write the Friday afternoon game preview column, and we would do a, a, a beer of the week, cool. and that's where I found. And so what I would do is try to do a beer of the week for, from whatever state they were playing, and so we're playing probably the Browns. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that was good. And um, <laughs> yeah. And I went out and found. I don't remember. I don't, I, it's Especially then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've won games since then. You have. Right. <laughs> Actually, the first game the Browns won when they came back was against the Saints. Uh, oh, there you go. Oh God, because the Saints were. Win- I was like, oh, there's no way. The Browns came in 0 and 7, 0 and whatever it was, 0 and 11. Yep. I was like, there's no way the Saints win this game. And the Browns like made this amazing comeback, like kind of a. La- I, I mean, this is 25 years ago, but you know, right. like a last minute kind of play. And I was, yeah, that was completely expected. Anyway, so Florida. Too. <laughs> so, yeah, we've done a couple yeah. of shipments down to Florida. We, Florida's our big. We're not in Florida all the time. Oh, really? We should, we've done a couple of special shipments down there, and everyone is just uh, just look at our Facebook page and <laughs> look at any post, and you will see someone say Florida on it. Yeah, <laughs> even if it has nothing to do with Florida. Yeah. Cool. So you have some really awesome beer names. So, for example, right now, am I allowed to say that we're sampling it? Yeah, you, 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 we actually should report it right if by the microphone. Tell already, so we get the yeah. sweet ASMR downloads. Right, right, but we exactly. missed those. Maybe we'll do some in situ recording after. But uh, yeah, so right, right now. So, so we are um, 
sampling. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. The um, Commodore Perry, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's uh, it's it's really nice, and it has a connection to locally to Lake Erie. Um, so, how do y'all pick your names? Sure. Um, like, what's the so we've kind of had two approaches to our beer names throughout the years. And like, if anyone listening to this is a longtime fan, you can kind of see, like, I think about them in two big buckets. There's like our classics, our legacy beers. These are beers that have been with us, like many of them from day one or from the first couple of years. Commodore Perry is an early nineties brew. Um, and a lot of those beers, they're rooted in traditional like European-inspired beer styles. So this is an English-style IPA, um, based more on the ones that would come from, of course, from England, where the style originated. And a lot of those classic beers would also have names and like storytelling behind them that related to uh, a famous person in our region, um, often from Cleveland specifically, but sometimes a little bit more broadly. Um, and those stories really like help those beers come alive for a lot of people. So we've got the Commodore Perry. You guys are I'm I'm sipping on the Hayes Craft, the Hazy IPA. But you guys have Commodore Perry. Um, You're younger but, and hipper than we are. I know, right? You got my Hazy IPA. Right? I got to do it. I can't. Yeah, I can't stand a clear beer. There's something wrong with it, right? Yeah, but so yeah. Commodore Perry. So uh, so the, yeah. the just this podcast is, and it's true. Uh, we didn't do the full intro with you, but you'll hear it. Is is I don't really know a lot about the Great Lakes, and, oh, and yeah. so I I've never heard of Commodore. Perry. So there's a, a a Great Lakes connection, a GLC, if you will. A Great this Lakes guy connection. has the he has the most awesome middle name ever. His full name is Oliver Hazard Perry. <laughs> oh, uh, that's that, pretty awesome. That could be the factoid too. Yeah. Like hey, All right, hold on, right. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Yeah, I don't know the factoid. Hazard Perry. Hazard's the best middle name ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine naming a little baby like I, I know. know. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. It was the late 1700s or something like that. It was a lot different then. So, yeah. So, he was expecting to live past seven. Oh, goodness (laughs) gracious. Right. So, he's famous for, um, he was very pivotal in the Battle of Lake Erie during the War of 1812. And that was fought fought out like the islands, which is near Sandusky, you know, Cedar Point, all that stuff. You guys been to Cedar Point? Yes, Here we go up there. Yeah. My my wife is from uh, just north of Dayton, so she has told me about Cedar, Cedar Point. Cedar Point, yes, the, awesome. the glories of Cedar Point, right? The glories. So that's where the, the battle is fought in that general area. Just an impactful story. There's like a bajillion things along the north coast here, the uh, the shore of Lake Erie named Perry. So it's oh. kind of a no-brainer. Oh, like <laughs> Perrysburg. Extent, you know, Perrysburg, Perrysburg. Where Perrysburg. Illinois, Indiana Secret. There's All that stuff. So he was, yeah, he's basically a, a big hero. And um, if you ever see a can... You know, if this were a visual thing, you'd see him triumphantly standing on a ship with a sword. And our favorite thing is his his motto is don't give up the ship. And you'll see flags of that everywhere. But we modified that and don't give up the sip. Because uh, we don't want to, you know, waste, waste, not want, not. With you got to be with careful with these 18th century slogans. Right. I was in Texas and, and uh, everybody had uh, flags with cannons on them. They say, come and take it. Um, which we're not going to get into because uh, we're Great Lakes public, so, yeah, exactly. But but don't give up the sip. I prefer right, right, right. yeah. 
I prefer don't give up the ship to yeah. uh, uh, come and take it. So, okay, right. so Commodore so Perry. Is, no, wait. No. So one second. This is the point of the podcast where I have to remind everyone that Carolyn's from Canada and okay. actually from the other side of the there lake. Oh, wait so. a minute. So did Commodore Perry, let's pretend that I don't know anything about the War of 1812 other than the song. Oh. In 1814, we took a little trip along uh. Colonel Jackson on my Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans and fought a mighty battle in town of New Orleans. You know that one? That's no. all I know about this. So what else yeah. about the War of 1812? I mean, we could talk Were you the enemy? While. Were you the enemy? We were. Oh. Yes. I mean, we, we I, things I probably, you don't. Tactically, know. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah. Tune in. Yeah. Never mind on that. But no, no. Awkward. Yeah. But one of the, <laughs> one for the one history of the, podcast. Yeah. One of the coolest, like, kind of bizarre stories is, like, that, like, the lake, Western Lake Erie froze and people, like, walked across to try to go against each other and stuff like that. So, whoop. What? Oh, sorry, I'm we getting away. We purchased you a microphone. Yeah, yeah sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. But yeah, anyway, so so that's cool. The, the 1812 connections are totally really cool. Yeah. So. And a lot of you know, a lot of those other classic beers have those cool stories behind them too. All right, so. let's get one more. One more. Yeah, cool. we're gonna go to the Indiana connection. Sure. Yeah. Elliot Actually, Ness. you know, you gotta fill me in too because I didn't know the Ness Indiana connection. I know Chicago. And yeah. All that, but, yeah. I'm. Yeah, I'll fill you in. Um, first, you fill me in on who Elliot Ness yeah, is. Yeah, so Ness was <laughs> Elliot Ness. He was um, he's famous for busting a lot of bootleggers like Al Capone and all that. So big, oh, big time yeah. stuff. The Untouchables, yeah, yeah. the movie Untouchables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, right? was that Kevin Costner? Him. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Firm answer. I'm not a movie buff, but right. Me yeah. either. But I'm aware of Kevin Costner. But I've told that story a million times about the Untouchables. But yeah, so I should probably rewatch it once. So he then. After he kind of got famous in Chicago, he came to Cleveland, which, remember at that time, Cleveland was one of the biggest cities in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cleveland was like top five population-wise oh, and stuff. So. It's a Great factoid. Lakes factoid. <laughs> a Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. <laughs> there we go. Solid. All right. Anyway, so, El- yeah, they came to Cleveland. And he was our public safety director, so kind of a high-level, um, high-visibility position and all that. He ran for mayor a couple of times, ran on the wrong ticket, so he had no chance of winning, but he ran. Um, that's how big of a, a presence he was. And part of what's really cool is he drank at the bar that is now our main tap room. What? So, oh, so it's cool. right around, we're in the beer symposium, if you go... Out of here, hang left, hang another left. About a 20-second stumble, there is our main bar, which goes, the building goes back to the 1860s. The bar itself goes back to about 1901. And it's a really, really cool um, old-school space that, of course, you know, has some modern, a touch of modern sleekness added to it, but it's maintained a lot of the integral structure from back then. So Ness was known to be a frequent consumer at that bar, um he has his own like stool and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and there are some bullet holes that are lodged in the walls of the bar space no kidding. and no. they're rumored to be attached to nests in some way so the second cool connection that we have to him is that the co-owners their mother was ness's stenographer so that's that's <laughs> like one degree of separation right there wait, right so that's bananas wait how does that work with history History is weird. So when was that, when was this nest situation? I this guess is like, like 30s, a, yeah. not yeah, that long ago. Yeah, yeah I guess you're right. Ben Danner, uh, I mean, you know, we're talking 50s, 60s. Yeah, yeah, like no, that, no, no, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing yeah. how that, yeah. Right, it That's seems actually, like a long time ago, but it's it really not. I went up it's really and, uh, not. yeah, I know, I totally remember. I was at the University of Florida getting one of my too many degrees. And uh, <laughs> uh, there was a guy in, like, one of the chemistry departments I was talking to who had, like, gone and attended a lecture by Einstein. <laughs> 
Yeah, and right. I mean, like, that was a thing. Like right? a literal Einstein lecture. He was, uh, he was, I mean, I'm not joking, like a hundred, uh, a literal hundred years old. But uh, sure, right. it's like, man, <laughs> totally. history yeah. happens quickly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Cool. Well, we're, yeah. Our, um, we will put, uh, we will take some pictures of these bullet holes. Please do, yeah. And we will put them in our show notes, which you can find at teespringaboutthegreatlakes.com slash six, seven, if I'm doing my math right, because this is episode number 67, believe it or not. Good that number. Good number. Completely bonkers. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, we're right near Lake Erie, and beer is mostly water plus some good stuff. So there is a connection. Is there? Sorry. There is. No. Is there a connection between what happens here and the water that's in Lake Erie? Yeah, absolutely. So we're using Cleveland City water here, which, you know, we're, we're what, like a mile, I think, from the, from, from the lake. So it completely makes sense that we're drawing our water from, from Lake Erie. And, you know, we're, we're lucky it's not the case everywhere, but we actually do have really – Lake Erie is really good brewing water, as it is pretty much. We treat it, obviously. First of all, of course, the city does their own treatment yeah. right. <laughs> stuff like that right. um, for sanitation. When we bring it into the brewery, what we'll do is we'll do a um, charcoal filtration that's to strip out chlorine. Obviously, you need that so that the water is not making us sick and all that. But throughout the brewing and fermentation process, um, chlorine reacting with certain compounds during fermentation would create this kind of like medicinal or smoky flavor. So we don't want that. So strip out the chlorine. Um, And then stuff like – so stuff that's important for uh, brewing – Brewing water is the pH, and pH is like just a touch alkaline. Um, we want a little bit of acidity through the brew house, so it's actually great. We don't have to modify it too much. We boost the calcium a little bit, which helps basically fermentation process and all that. Helps with like stability of the beer, and then it's pretty much ready to go. So we're lucky that we do have some really great water for brewing right here in our backyard. Hmm. Yeah. And so, so then I was thinking, I was on the, I was doing some research on the way over, which means conversing in the car with our director. And he <laughs> says that sometimes the water, like Cleveland has uh, water problems. Like when the water, like when there's harmful algal blooms going on or whatever, they might even have hypoxia to, in hypoxia. the central basin. Yeah. 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 Um, they have to even shut down the water or something like that. Does that affect y'all or what do y'all do about that? Or do you have you like know, a, do you have a water reservoir? Uh, 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 we do. Yeah. I mean, we have a water tower that's not too far away that may be a backup for that specific situation. I am not 100% familiar. The algal blooms and stuff, I think, is more a little bit. That's happened like, I can think of like one or two times. Okay. Right. That's more like Toledo, though. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so a little bit further to the west, I think, right. like closer to the Mami and all that. Yeah, sure. Because right. Lake Erie, of course, is the shallowest of the Great Lakes. And oh, is it? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the deep part is further east and then the further west you go it gets more and more shallow so i think it's more of a problem out west because of that yeah so So you guys we haven't had to deal with that thanks thomas we've had pink water and stuff sometimes i don't pink know but water. What is pink water hold on no you can't you can't drop a yeah, pink you water bomb and tell us what that. pink water so no it was it, it was totally it, it was um this this city told us it was something totally harmless um something involved with of with that sanitation that. and stuff yeah, like okay. that so, fair enough yeah. so yeah so um, you also totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> fine. No pink beer. You also have um, something called the Great Lakes Burning River Fest. Can you tell us about that? We a do. Bit? Yeah. So be- in part because we have this extremely valuable resource right here a mile away, and because of it's also very much because of how Pat and Dan operate. Um, you know, 
water stewardship in particular, but also general environmental stewardship is something that's very important for the company overall. So the Conways, this triple bottom line philosophy is something that, of course, other companies have used too. We were able to take particular advantage of it and have little waves on our logo for a number of years. We streamlined that, but it is something that matters very deeply personally to the Conways is, yes, of course, having a profitable business where you're able to um, give a lot of people meaningful work and all that stuff, but at the same time, also doing your part to protect the environment and, of course, also to support your local community and and social structure and stuff like that. So one of the biggest ways that we have given back to specifically water stewardship is through the Burning River Festival. So that started in 2001. It was actually held in the brewery itself. Um, We're pretty much just a city block, but at that time we had just opened that facility and there's still a lot of room. We make a lot more beer now, so there's a lot more tanks. (laughs) There's a lot more tanks, and so we moved. um, I believe the festival has been in a couple different locations, but in my memory it's been on at the historic coast guard station which is right at the mouth of the cuyahoga river of course also an essential water resource for us here in cleveland and uh, it's a really stunning scene so obviously we have not been able to host that the past um three years man crazy 2019 was the last one which was kind of cool because it was the um the 50th anniversary of that whole, you know, the river fire stuff. Oh, we'll yeah, get, yeah, yeah. We'll get, yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about Burning River Fest, right? So the river caught on fire, and it, you, I'm sure the listeners on here may know yes. this, right? But in fact, if listeners listen to last week's episode, which we have totally already recorded and are not about to record tonight at right. Resthead Brewery totally. in downtown Cleveland, I bet we will have talked with uh, Dr. Chris Winslow about now, the Burning Cuyahoga River. Yep. Now yeah. you're... Building in what we have to talk about. <laughs> 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 anyway, go ahead. But yeah. So I don't need to tell the Burning River story. No, tell, tell you. I'll tell it. You're going to tell it the Great Lakes way, all right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the river, you know, in Cleveland. The river was angry that the day. River, <laughs> the river caught on fire a number of times. River caught on, rivers caught on fire anywhere there was industrialization because this is before we had a lot of regulations for dumping of waste and things like that. And, of course, with advances in electricity and you know, trains running at high speeds across bridges over oil slicks, you know, river fires could happen. And um, I, my knowledge is there are like probably 12 or 13 that happened in Cleveland, but this was not, again, we are just talking history, right? This is 50 years, this is like barely 50 years ago. And this was common, right? That my my parents are my parents are twenty by that point. Yeah, no, that's you know? something I found out. Yeah, it's crazy. I, you hear about the Cuyahoga River? I thought it caught on fire once, but no, no, no. It, it, mm-hmm. it yeah, yeah. It's number of times, and again, it's happened all over the place. We got yeah, particular we got particular notoriety. The way we've the way I've learned about it is like it was featured in Time Magazine and the the Lunar Landing edition or something like that. So of course that's Cleveland's luck, right? That oh, oh there's river creepers. fire. Yeah, they showed a picture of like a a fire that from years ago that was much worse but the reason why so we like to take bad bad stuff and make good out of it clevelanders were very essential under i believe carl stokes the mayor at the time were very influential in pushing um like pressuring federal government to get the clean water act passed and kind of modernizing the epa and then we've taken that theme for the burning river beer generally but also specifically for the festival um so it's it's a cool fest. Um, crossing fingers that 2023 is the year. We'll see. Um, we'll wait. Uh, but things seem to be 
we're in a pretty solid place, so we're we're hopeful it can happen next year. But it's basically music, local vendors, food, you know, a bunch of our beer, beautiful setting, and we've raised something like almost seven hundred grand for water stewardship and other local nonprofit yeah. causes. That is awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot, like the tension sort of between you know, doing good and doing well, I guess. And, and I know people say you can do both, right? But but do y'all think about, like, like uh, this is something you're kind of passionate about. How do you kind of decide, uh, what do I want to say? Like, how do you decide how much of your corporate weight to put behind these sorts of initiatives, sure. I guess? Is yeah. It? It's tough. It's definitely tough. And, you know, the, those who above my pay grade know more about this yeah, than sure, I do sure. and all that, right? But generally, you know, they I don't can answer say, our email, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you got us, right? That's perfect. Yeah. You got to email that media account and then you get us to me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, to my, my knowledge, my experience with how we, we do balance that triple bottom line. Um, do we say we, what the triple bottom line is? No. We What's the triple bottom, bottom line? line? I kind of like briefly kind of alluded to it, but yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. it's um, Having a an economically profitable business while also maintaining environmental and like social stewardship, basically. So it's something that we uh, we when we approach whatever we do. Let's say um, like in the gift shop, we have a responsible purchasing policy. So we're gonna sell T-shirts, right? <laughs> we're gonna do as much as we can to make sure that our T-shirts. The T-shirts that are are the base, you know, design are made in a place where they're paying their workers a just wage and um, not working them 15 hours a day and stuff like that. So when we approach any aspect of the business, we're going to keep those core principles in mind. You know, we still ultimately the most important resource for us is our people and stuff. So we have to be. <laughs> Business comes first, but we're never we're not going to ignore those other aspects because yeah. Well, it can't be the kind of thing I I, I I'm not asking you in any way to talk about like your bottom line and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a trillion brewers out there, right? So right, and, and just basic capitalism is not a very it's not super profitable at least on a market because right. you know, there's totally. so many mm-hmm. out there, and so it's hard to do that um, to to think about how to balance those triple bottom mm-hmm. lines. I guess. And ultimately, I think it comes down to Pat and Dan really dislike. And since they're still the owners of the company and they, they care so much, which is great, um, they're what really drive that. And other 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 breweries also do their part in various ways too. But like sometimes sometimes with the band, yeah, we are like we have to like come up with this new beer first before we can you know before we can do X Y or Z. So it shows you how good guys they are. Yeah. This is one I have a question about. So I don't even know what this I'm 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 transcribing here. So I I have a neighbor named Steve. And uh, right. Steve, every now and again, what happens is I'll get a text, you want garage beers tonight? And the answer to you want garage beers is, yes, I want garage beers. And It's rhetorical. Class. Yeah. And so we put the kids down, and then I'll waltz on over for garage beers. And and um, and so one night we were sitting having garage beers, uh, and sometimes garage single malt scotches. Mm-hmm. Naturally. Garage bourbons. You know, every Proper now and setting. again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We're in a brewery right now. Right, right, right. So my point is this. <laughs> These are all normal. I don't, yeah. this is not unusual. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're sitting there garaging. And uh, I was like, hey, Steve, I'm going to Great Lakes Brewing Company. I'm very excited to do this interview. We've got the interview. We can now close down the podcast, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, and, and Steve's like, oh, they have this oyster stout. All right. Well, first of all, what is oyster stout? And second of all, why doesn't it taste like oyster? Oyster. Yeah. So, yes. No, they, Every once in a while, it's always fun when someone, um, again, like via social media, will like email our general inbox 
naming X beer that I haven't thought about for like seven years. Like, <laughs> oh, that beer, yeah. <laughs> I actually remember the oyster stout. So oyster stout is a thing. It's um, in British pubs. So when porter and stout became really popular, like in the 18, 1700s and 1800s, um, it was it would be the beer of choice for people going to regular pubs and public houses and these people would like work on the ships and carry stuff ergo why the the style got named porter the whole porter stout thing we won't get into that but a very common bar snack was oysters, oysters. Mm-hmm. and if you like you know, a snack. Have a, <laughs> fistful of oysters yeah probably. right yeah. exactly i mean you're right there by yeah, the docks sure. on the water and stuff and um you know, like an oyster has got some salinity to it, of course, and then it's got maybe a certain kind of umami thing going on, which you would find some resonance in the beer with, like, the whole roastiness and, and all that of a stout. So apparently, I, I'm not entirely sure why, but some brewers got the idea that why don't we brew with the oysters? Oh, no. It's like <laughs> a fining agent You know why? They were having garage like beers. That. That's why. Like... <laughs> so Whatever. A 30th anniversary, it's the Pearl anniversary, I think. So we said, let's do an oyster stout. Oysters oh. <laughs> so we did, it, did the, the oyster stout. Personally, yeah, I didn't, okay, it didn't taste exactly like an oyster, but I got the salinity. <laughs> you got the Steve, yeah. okay, right? <laughs> I got the salinity. Yeah. <laughs> so it was there. So, so then my next question is, why can't we get it west off yet? I guess because you haven't brewed it in like 20 years. That is correct, <laughs> yes. Uh, we brewed it, that was, it was so, it was 2018. There and uh, we had just entered in Indiana at that point. So. Oh, so he must have gotten an oyster stout. That is, that's probably how he had it. Yep. I was like, how yep. does this guy even yep. have the oyster stout? <laughs> that's right. But he, yeah. So there you go. So I'm curious, like I think about this all the time. So when you all started, and this is when you were born, essentially, the yes. company started, they called it microbrew then. Ooh, I want a microbrew. Ooh, right, microbrew. Right. And and like and there was Sam Adams who it for my money is the most valuable brewer in America because you can go to any small town and get a Sam Adams and you know that their Boston lager is a solid beer. And it's a totally, that's a, totally. Yeah. yeah. But 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 since then it's really expanded, right? And so you you mm-hmm. served as this Commodore Perry, which is a um no wonder it's to my palate. It's an older beer, uh, you said, right? And so my beer tastes like my music tastes frozen about 2004. And I'm like, why should I ever <laughs> So no hazy IPAs yeah. for Well, I mean, it's fine, but I'm like, I just, for yeah, I just need a nice, well-balanced. Young whippersnapper like yeah. me wants the haze. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, but um, so what kind of changes have you seen? Or if you can speak to this, you know, oh, like, like it feels like it's really, is it really cutthroat now compared to how it was? Or like, you know, is it harder to do because you have to be more competitive? Or, or Sure. Yeah. There's, there's definitely more competition so and I, you know i'm the history guy here too so we talk about this stuff all the time especially with new staff trainings and stuff to give our employees our employee owners context about you know why we operated like we did before with a lot of those classic beers and why we're operating like we do today with the hazy and like it, we have like this citrus we call crushworthy that's yeah. totally targeted towards somebody that we never would have thought of targeting before because of how things have changed so like 80s again very little beer out there. Most of those light lagers. If you came at them with an Imperial IPA, people would have been like, this is disgusting. It's so bitter. And why does it smell like, like grapefruit? And like <laughs> at that time, people had no context for that. And craft brewers over time, I mean, there's a revolutionary spirit in craft beer from the beginning saying no to the large mass produced beer. We want to do something that's more flavorful. That's more interesting to us. And craft brewers have continued to push that envelope over the course of four 
decade. So have you have y'all yeah. come up with something where it's like, oh, this is good, but the world isn't ready for this yet? Is that like a thing? Well, I, if I told you, but we've thanks for not finishing we that have sentence. Some, by the way, <laughs> da, da, da. we um yeah. So basically, where we're at now is like. Those beers, those classic beers are still extremely important to us. Dormunder, biggest seller still. Um, Evan Fitzgerald has such a red. Elliot Ness, too. If you go outside of Cleveland, those beers are some of our bigger beers. But here in Cleveland, like, because of what you guys have brought up, competition, there's there's 10 breweries in the neighborhood we're in right now, in Ohio City. Um, and there are other people out there also making really good beer. And... Um, that have cool packaging that really like, wow, catches people's eyes. So we've had to evolve and adapt as a brewery as well. And while of course we still have that, that rock solid foundation of the classics that got us here, we've also adapted because of those circumstances and because people change throughout time, you know, the people, the, those young kids, those 23 year olds, <laughs> they want their seltzers and whatever else. Right. You know, so like we have to be thinking in that mindset of, we, we would never want to rest on our laurels anyways, right? We don't want to just say, oh, well, Dortmund is great, and it got us here, so why change? You know, we want – any good craft brewer is going to want to continue to push the envelope and do the hazy IPA or the tropical stuff or imperial IPAs, all that stuff that we've gotten into over the past couple of years. So it's more fun for us, too. Like, I love the classics, but – just want to do it, right? Like, we're creators. Like, we want to, like, make the new stuff, too, and get excited about it. Right. And yeah. like, it's cool to be adaptive yeah. and try yeah. to change stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The key so, for us is both, right? Have, yeah. Have both within reason, within proper balance and all that. But like, we didn't ditch our pass. Yeah. Right. But we're still going to try to blaze the trail forward. Yeah. Cool. So, like, what's something that you like to, thinking about this, you're the historian, right? Mm-hmm. And again, all of this will probably be, it's fine. I know, I know. No, I know. no, that but, way, yeah. But, 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 Sorry, but, but something I was thinking about, Carol and I were talking about this the other day, and she's like, I would really want to just like nerd out about the history stuff. So if I asked yeah. you to nerd out about the history stuff or the beer stuff or like stuff the or whatever, one thing that you want yeah. to nerd out about. Yeah, what, what is something you want to nerd out about? Oh, my goodness. That you'd like to nerd out about? And then um, we'll give you 30 seconds. <laughs> man, I mean, I could go so many different ways with this. Like, I always love nerding out about sensory stuff, all the different the, – or okay. the way we perceive flavor. And yeah, stuff. give me that. Jelly, <gasps> I should have brought jelly beans for you guys. I mean, but... generally speaking, that's true. Anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But tell me about the sensory stuff. We do this stuff. fun yeah. trick. Like, um, we do this fun trick for pretty much any training. It always gets people. It's great. Where we're, we're demonstrating about how we taste. And, of course, this is for everything, not just beer. But, but um, I mean, if you're tasting, most, might as well be beer. Right, right. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Or cheese. Cheese is also good. Yeah. But what we think, we think we perceive flavor in the mouth, but it's almost entirely the nose that's that's giving us, we have five tastes or maybe six fat. I think they just said is officially a taste. But the entire- The international right, fat scientist yeah, union is the, very strong. Yeah. The people who decide the, all the sensory stuff, fat is, is in there too. So everything else that the rich- you know, wide range of experiences come from the nose. So what, what I do is, and it'd be so much better if we had jelly beans right now, <laughs> but I have people plug their nose and I'm going to talk to the microphone with my, my, my <laughs> nose plugged. Perfect. <laughs> they take the jelly bean and chew and I ask them to pay attention to what they taste. And then after a couple seconds, let go of the nose and people's faces just go like that. Right. Because all they can taste is sweet. Or if it's the lemon lime jelly bean, they can taste a little bit of tart. 
And then once you like over your nose, it's like, that's a marshmallow. <laughs> that's cherry. Like, so it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That applies for everything, but that's why we always recommend I poured you guys beers in a cup rather than drinking from a can or something like that. So you can really smell that beer. Yeah. Right. That's that gross Sensory nerding. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. excellent. All right, great. Perfect. Perfect. So, so uh, we talked a minute. One thing we, we talked about, you know, thinking about water and your water usage and things like that. But, I mean, beer uses a lot, right? I mean, the production of beer, the drinking of beer. And now that everybody's moved to cans, you know, the aluminum and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, is there stuff that y'all do? So, I, and, but a lot of the beer companies are really forward thinking too, right? And so totally. we talked before that the tension between like profits and doing good, right. but in other places, like the prof, the tension between wanting to produce awesome beer, but that uses a, 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 a keg load of resources, right? And so, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. So what do y'all do to like uh, try to reduce that? Is there anything you do? Um, and is there anything that you're sort of particularly proud yeah. of? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot we do around the brewery and some of this stuff's been going on for some time with the Conway mentality to preserve that, that precious resource that we have just a mile away. So it's, there's some stuff in the pub uh, as simple as uh, some restaurants automatically bring a water out and stuff. Like we can't usually wait for re- upon request. We have a rain barrel outside collects rain that's used for watering the plants. There's a lot of you'll if you go over a beer or anything after this, you'll see there's a lot of plants over there. But it's the brewery across the street that you know produces like just hundreds and thousands of barrels of beer every year. Where right, you mean the actual brewing production big, facility? Right, the production facility is but it's the restaurant the place. Yeah. Because obviously there's a lot of liquid involved with brewing the beer. Each batch is 75 barrels, 31 gallons to a barrel, so it's a lot of water. But, like, we do 10 times as much cleaning as we do brewing. So that's a lot of – if anyone out there is listening to this and they think they want to get into brewing, right. I hope you like cleaning because <laughs> that is most of what it is. Which makes Just the beard thing saying, complicated. Yeah, right? Right, right. So, obviously, from many perspectives, we want to reduce our, our water usage as much as possible. So some, sta- some ways we do that um, – I was just talking with our maintenance and engineering director earlier today, and I had to give him this shout for this because it kind of blew my mind. So we were able to – we made a change in the filtration system that I guess is saving us like a million gallons oh my of gosh. water a year. That's brilliant. That's he, awesome. he put six zeros on there. So yeah. it seems like a lot of water, yeah. right? You know? yeah. And it's simply just by replacing like a city water-cooled piece of equipment with like um, – a closed-loop cooling system, something like that. So some of this stuff is almost like like laughably small tweaks you have to make, and we're like, oh, we're, my goodness, we're saving literally a million gallons of water. So, um, But some of the other stuff we've done for a while is like sanitation, again, being huge. We rinse each bottle out before we fill it. Why let that water just go down the drain when it's perfectly usable again? So we take that, pressurize it, and then use it to cool the vacuum pump, which helps out with filtration. Um, something that's probably a little more common for other breweries is there's a part in the brewing process where we go from hot to cold very quickly. So when you're brewing, you, there's um, you know, heating up to like 150 degrees, and then there's boiling, and then after the boil, we start to let the beer cool and then very rapidly chill it do that through a counterflow um, mechanism where we're shooting cold water one way, 
And of course, that intersection right there is going to take the heat from the eventual beer and transfer it to that colder water. So it chills the what becomes the beer. That water that then got heated up goes back to the brew house and is reused. So we're definitely mindful as much as we can be of, of reusing those resources as much as we can. Tons of other stuff we do for reducing and reusing too. We've already we've covered a lot of stuff, so I don't have to get too deep or too nerdy about this. But I'll just say yeah, my, we, my we're, we're pretty nerdy I mean, on the <laughs> show, so you're all right. So we do composting. <laughs> uh, you know, the switch to cans has kind of helped with reducing carbon footprint. Spent grain, we go through. Um, oh, do cans have a lower carbon footprint than glass? Well, in the sense that they're so much lighter. Oh, um, you can yep that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was brushing up on the difference of on recyclability. I know that. Glass does have some advantages for recyclability and all that, but cans also are made from more recycled, whatever. The two big ones are spent grain. We have about 150,000 pounds of grain after we're done brewing every week that goes to a a local cattle farmer. So, you know, helps us not have to dispose of it somewhere. It obviously goes to his cattle. We then, in the past, we've procured beef from that particular farmer and then served in the pub. It's a little circular thing going on there. And then the best part, there will be low-filled bottles and cans, and we cannot sell those, of course, for multiple reasons, legal, business reputation. So my favorite conservation effort is employees taking low-filled bottles home (laughs) and and enjoying them, but also using them to make mustards, barbecue sauces. Oh, right. Right, right, right. You don't want to go to That's fantastic. That's cool. So which door is the secret hidden door where all the low-filled bottles are uh, right here? That one right there. All right. Um, So giant barn doors. So if you have to go to the bathroom, let me know. Right. (laughs) Super. Cool. Cool. No, actually, Mike, so this is really interesting, and I, I love hearing about the history of Great Lakes Brewing and the good work that you're doing and thinking about, you know, how do you uh, – the three – the little wave profit, yeah. three things that I've already forgotten the name of. That's <laughs> Triple fine. bottom line. Yeah, yeah, the triple bottom line, right? right. It's not enough to have yeah. one bottom. you got the triple bottom line. <laughs> no, it's good but to have a triple bottom line. I agree. Oh, I got a triple <laughs> bottom at least. But oh, goodness. Like, yeah, anyway, the point is this. That's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is ask you two questions. The first of which is this, and I normally can say that faster and enunciate it more. The first of which is this. The first of which is this. Yeah, it's not happening. Thank you, Commodore. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you choose? It is unequivocally the sandwich. Unequivocally the sandwich. Sandwich all the way. My brother's the donut guy, and I'm the sandwich guy. Oh, there you go. You have like a little thing. And I love. Thinking about sandwich construction. That's oh, very important. Hold on now. Hold on now. <laughs> hold on now. We asked you to nerd out. You didn't tell me about the sandwich situation. Right. All right. Well, you know, like, yeah. I mean, you just can't throw the stuff on there really nilly. Like, it's a, let's layer let's layer a meat and then a cheese. And, you know, I depending on what hot. kind of sandwich it is, the lettuce and tomato could be on the bottom. This it is my be question. On the top. Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm dead serious. I've been yeah. thinking about this a lot because, uh, you know, I, 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 it's tomato season, right? And so we have a garden, and the rabbits eat everything in the garden. And I'm not going to fight rabbits. Like, come on. I'm a high-powered <laughs> administrator. I don't have time yeah. to fight rabbits. Uh, but, but so they don't eat the tomatoes. So I've got the, the tomatoes. And there's nothing better in a garden fresh tomato. It's the best. And um, so I'm going to make a sandwich. 
And I never know, should it go under the cheese or over the cheese? So do you have a thought on, like, just a, for any kind of, like, a normal turkey sandwich or, you yeah, know. Yeah, I do over, over the for che- that, you know. So, so you go cheese. bread? You, you got go a bread? cheddar or a Swiss or is it a, a, you know, a more mild cheese, stuff like that. Yeah. So mild Somebody, cheese would go on top? Maybe in the bottom. Maybe so you can, bottom. yeah. It's all about, like, I think of impact of what's actually going on my palate and stuff. Some more intense up Oh, top, my God. You know? All right. That's awesome. <laughs> So you no 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 okay good. So yeah, you can ask me to about beer, but no no, yeah, no forget no, no, it. No, no. The rest can... of the podcast is now yeah. deleted. So okay, so right. so. No wait, aren't you going to ask? We're actually in Cleveland. No, right I'm going to ask, ask that, but I'm not ready guess. to get to that question yet. I'm still trying to build my. I'm trying shit. to rein you in, man. I know you're trying to rein me in. I can't be reined in. I can't do it. You got to lash me to the mast of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Okay, fine. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. No. Oh, uh, 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 We'll talk sandwiches later. So okay. the thing is this, though, <laughs> is that we're in Cleveland right now, as Carolyn has pointed out, if that made it into the thing. Quinn, I would ask you to think carefully. Um, Please but, do it, Quinn. But uh, the point is this. Um, tomorrow, I, I'm going to have to leave Sea Grant week. Very sad, early. Carolyn has already expressed dismay. It's uh, true. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, the point is this. Before I go, I'm going to get a sandwich, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get a sandwich. Where should I go and what sandwich Ooh, should I get? Okay. So, like, one of the famous sandwich places is Slimin's Deli, and uh, it's, you know, it's classic corned beef, all that kind of stuff. So, I would just, I mean, they're, like, this big. Go to Slimin's. All right, all right, he's holding up his hands, and they're a good six, eight Six to eight, yeah. 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 The size of a pint of beer. It's a lot of good sandwiches in Cleveland, but that's, All right, Slimin's Deli, going to get the corned beef. Near East Side. Yeah, not too, actually, pretty close to where you guys would be. Done. Done. 30th, like, 30th and... Superior or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, pretty Does close. it have Fruit Loops or mac and cheese on it? No. No. Okay. He's good. giving grief about what we. There's this hot dog. We were at the, the Jacobs Field game? last night, except Happy not dog. Jacobs Field yeah. anymore. Yeah. 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 And I have a totally yeah. reasonable. Yeah. Thing. I enjoyed my hot. I was looking at it. And I was fun. all fired up, yeah. and then yeah. I saw Fruit Loops as an ingredient. It's fun. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. It is different. The one with the sriracha. hot dog with brown mustard. Not yellow mustard. Yeah, yeah. Brown I didn't mustard. realize that was a thing until I was Bourbon's at the ballpark. Specifically. Yeah, I was at the ballpark. We do make a yep. uh, we make a, a mustard with the local mustard company do with really? some low fill beer. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Cool. Okay, so Mike, what is a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience and what makes it special? Yeah. I'm thinking about this place in particular lately. So my parents have a house up on Marblehead. Uh, in this little like lakeside called lakeside community nice little spot and um one of my favorite things to do is my wife and i will go up this time of year so they charge a gate fee during the year or like this the summer season and that's totally worth it too um, but we love coming in the fall when it's just a little bit cooler leaves might be starting to turn soon don't have to pay the gate fee or anything like that <laughs> and we just go up there and it's like a little mini retreat for us and it's right by the water and it's you know it's like a five seven minute walk from the little cottage down to they have this nice big pier and we like to go and sit on the pier and just kind of take in lake erie and um hopefully it's clear out and you get a nice sunset and all that stuff so i love going up to that little retreat like place and we're we're planning our weekend right now <laughs> so yeah that's that's my spot. That's my spot. Well, maybe I'll skip the rest of my responsibilities and do that. <laughs> uh, we'll see what Thomas says. Anyway, Mike Williams, brand coordinator uh, and company educator and historian for the wonderful Great Lakes Brewing Company in Cleveland. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Sure thing. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Yay.
what a fascinating conversation. And I'm so glad to finally, finally, after three years, nail the one interview that we wanted to get. The Not the entire reason I started the podcast, of course, but uh, the, the tertiary reason. Maybe like you're talking about your triple bottom line or whatever, right? right. This is one of our bottom lines. Uh, yeah. was, we just want to go interview. Like, I mean, it's fun. Yeah, it's I mean, fun. And, and, and one of the things we talk about a lot is the need for like, we want a culture of the Great Lakes being an amazing resource. And so right. this is, a, in addition to the, the good beer, the cultural resource uh, aspect of it, I think is good. Right. And I'm going to go ahead and say, like, we still got to nerd out. <laughs> and we still got to nerd out. We were wondering if we'd get to nerd out. Yeah. Um, we're hoping. Certainly. Yeah. 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 Great. <laughs> oh, Carolyn. My goodness. Yeah. Here we are recording the outro right in line as we always do. And I just realized we didn't pick up the Elliot Ness uh, connection. So, so realistically, I, I sort of made a like assumption that I should look up. And if I find something, we'll put it in the show notes at <laughs> teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 67. Is that what we said? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's a huge connection to, from like um, the the mob activity in Chicago and people who would kind of head downstate to like Terre Haute in Indiana or over to, um, I'm not going to get it right. It's like either green bush or green field where people would go and they would hide out and stuff like that. So I sort of assumed that there was an Indiana connection that Elliot Ness was, was, um, maybe so, you know what this sounds like? What? Fodder for a future episode. Potentially. (laughs) But until then, (laughs) Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. And we encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and ILINC Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Reading Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and our fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose. Thank you, Quinn. And I encourage you to check out her work at aspiringrobot.com. I wonder if, never mind. Hey, if you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teach me about the great lakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline at 765 496 IISG for Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. You can also follow the show on Twitter at teach great lakes. Hey, thanks for listening. Keep great in those lakes. That's me trying to get the timing. So, um, Mike, we totally forgot because we do this periodically. We forgot to ask, where can people learn more about oh, what's yeah. happening oh, at yes, Great Lakes Brewing? <laughs> well, you can the learn. The post-credits segment here is going to be so long. <laughs> oh, my God. Because we normally, like, if something is way off topic but it's still kind of fun, we'll put it after the credits. Yeah. Right, right. Um, or if we totally botch something, that's fine. So, no, anyway. Think, but now, the like, rest of it's okay. Two, two-thirds of the podcast will be after the credits. That's yeah. not true. That's not true. Just <laughs> It'll be the best two-thirds, though, like is it. the thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, where do people go to learn more about the awesome stuff that y'all are doing? Oh, our website is lovely, uh, www.greatlakesbrewing.com. We are on all of the socials, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is Great Lakes Brewing Co. Just put us in the search. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Instagram, Twitter would be JLBC underscore Cleveland. And if you are on the TikToks, we are on that too. No, no, yeah. that's for the so, hazy yeah. IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> snapper. Yeah. Yeah, no, you no. like hazy IPAs, then you're on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs>
no. But I'm just, I'm doing it, so. 